Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me today, usually on Tuesdays, but this week on a Friday, from TheRinger.com, Kevin O'Connor. Kevin! Chris, what's going on? Hey, man, so you've had a fun week. I suppose you were down in Arizona. I read your article about scouting Markel Fultz, the uh, outstanding Washington prospect in person. How was Arizona? Yeah, Arizona was fun. Yeah, it was a good time. Um, Markel Fultz didn't have his best game, but it was still good to see him in person. What's their arena like? Um, it, it's crowded, like like a good college stadium is. There, there, there was people. There was people sitting in front of me doing a synchronized dance, which is kind of odd. <laughs> one, one of the dudes is really into it, and the other and the other two people there were just kind of copying him, like looking at him the whole time. Uh, that, that was odd. In terms of like, in terms of like college environment, is it great? Would you would yeah, you rank it, Arizona rather high? Yeah, it was great. It was great. The band was great too. Okay, so you go there to see Markel Fultz, who in most of the mock drafts is number is the number one pick. Um, did you leave the arena thinking I just watched the number one pick, or was there now like seeping doubt? Yeah, I mean, if if you went there and you had no clue who Markel Fultz was, you and you watch the game, you would think, okay, he's a good player, but he might not be the number one pick because it really wasn't his best game. But r- really seeing it, seeing him play in person, my biggest takeaway is just how much the situation is taking away from him as a player. Like Washington plays two big men on the floor the majority of the time, and neither of those bigs can usually space the floor at all. So not only do the college rules naturally pack in the paint because they don't have three-second violations, it's short of three-point line, but Lorenzo Ramar, Washington's head coach, puts two bigs out there who just stand in the paint and, and get full, get in Fultz's way. And we're talking about Fultz, who's six foot four, long arms. He's excellent at changing pace, but he has no space in the paint. And it's so frustrating to watch because I feel like he should be way, way better than he actually has been already for the Huskies. Well, let's be honest. Their lack of success at Washington, given the amount of prospects they've had, is downright despicable. I mean, they just had two they had two guys go in the first round last year, and people were sitting at the draft going like, what the hell? Why? That wasn't even a tournament team. How did, how did you not make the tournament? You had Marquise Chris and uh, Deontay Murray. Well, it's, it's going to be like that this year, too, with Markel Fultz. I mean, right. he, could be the num- he could be, in in my opinion, should be the number one pick, and they might not even make the tournament. And that's just crazy to me. It's, it's mind-boggling. It used to be, like I remember way back when, it used to be when you were looking at draft picks, I would really hold that against them. I I would look and I would go, all right, if the guy is so friggin' good, why is his team not even in the tournament, right? Um, And I remember doing this specifically with Paul George. Paul George wasn't even like a first or second team, all whatever the hell it was, whack or whatever, right, when he was playing. And his team like was like a 500 team or worse when he was playing there. And I'm like, all right, if this guy is so good, how the hell is he? How is it, how the hell is his team not that good in a crappy conference? And what you start to realize is you can't blame these kids for that because some of them are are in these just ridiculous situations where they do not get the most out of said draft prospect. It kind of it just felt like reading the article. I don't want to say you're making excuses for the kid. I guess there's like excuses or reasons. It felt like you were giving reasons as to why maybe you don't see the full onslaught of uh, of of of, the, of this kid, Markel Fultz. Yeah, and that's just the thing. It, it, it's basically, I looked up their stats on hooplens.com, and when they have 
two bigs on the floor who don't space the floor. They they outscore teams by 0.2 points per 100 possessions with faults on the floor. But when you have faults playing with space with only one big who doesn't space the floor, they outscore teams by 7.8 points per 100 possessions. So they're a really, really good team when they have faults on the floor with space. But they don't do that nearly as often as they do have the two bigs on the floor. And I just can't understand why their head coach, Lorenzo Romar, doesn't bench one of those guys, take them out of the rotation, and actually increase your chances of winning by increasing the floor spacing. Sure, you lose rebounding. Sure, you might lose some of your defense. But what you gain from Markel Fultz, being able to get in the lane, draw fouls, score at the rim, just simply have room to be the star he can be – I just can't understand why you don't try that or do that more often. And maybe they will at some point, but we're getting close towards the end of the season now. And so far he hasn't. And I don't see any reason to assume why he would. The reason I'm uh, the, the reason I'm asking about this is obviously you wrote the article for the ringer.com, which people can go check out on Markel Fultz, a perspective, uh, number one draft pick. But also, you know, football's ended, so everybody's kind of paying attention more so, at least I am. Uh, I've been watching more college basketball and especially like going out of my way to see these prospects. And so I've seen Malik Monk at uh, Kentucky. I watched the, the kid, the point guard at NC State is unbelievable. Dennis uh, Smith. I saw him, saw Dennis Smith, saw Malik Monk. I've seen, uh, you know, Lonzo Ball at, at uh, UCLA. I mean, I'm trying to make the rounds and at least check out these guys on regular occasion. Um, but as of today, even after seeing him in what was not a good game, you would still you, you would still take Fultz one after seeing him in person this past week. And would you say he is worthy of maybe tanking for? Is he that level of talent? So with Fultz, he's still definitely like number one for me and the primary reasons why is because i think you really need like a micro microscope to see his weaknesses right i mean every player has weaknesses but he doesn't have something that that sticks out where you're like okay that could prevent him from being an all-star i just think his ability to play on the ball or off the ball on the offensive end is super versatile. I think he's a good defender. I think he can get a little bit better, a little bit more engaged on the ball. But look, this is this is one thing I noticed really watching him in person. He does a good job communicating defensively. And this is despite playing in a shitty situation. This is despite the fact that his team is losing games after losing games. And he's still actually expounding effort on the defensive end, both physically and verbally. And I think that's a good positive indicator for him whereas last year with Ben Simmons at LSU Ben Simmons is like screw this I'm, I'm not even gonna bother uh, and I think I think it's a positive indicator for Fultz that he's still showing leadership qualities on that end of the floor never mind the fact that his offense is ridiculous never mind the fact that he has he has pace beyond his years his feel for the game is so good uh, though that's why he's the number one pick but the other stuff that you see I think that's what really separates him um, for me in those other categories it's a weird deal because that was on a Sunday afternoon against Arizona and it was nationally televised so everybody got to see it but I mean hell half the time when you're playing for Washington you're in like witness protection I mean that packed that Pac-12 TV contract is absurd, and especially that they you know they play late and half the damn time you don't know what channel they're on, and they're playing on that Pac-12 network, which you can't even get in my region of yeah, the country. Um, 
you know, it's it's a, it's, it's ridiculous, right? Like he is, he's one of those prospects. I, I felt this way when I was I was watching the Suns earlier this week, and you know, there was a couple Marquise Chris plays, and I was like, Jesus, this guy is like, you want to talk about bounce? But I mean, I probably got to see, I could count on my hand the amount of times I ever saw Marquise Chris play in my life prior to playing for the Phoenix Suns. Um, and so it's it's a tough it's a tough thing to have to even check out guys at Washington anyway. What do you think about all this, Tate? Uh, Tate, uh, Tate Frazier, of course, uh, does the uh, Ringer U podcast teed up with uh, with Club Trillion, Mark Titus. Yeah, I mean, you guys talk about prospects all the time. What do you think about all this? You think uh, you think Fultz is going to go number one? I'm Team Monk number one. Team Monk. Yeah, he's been the number one pick. I tell you, the, the funniest was the Kentucky game the other night. Um, I'm watching the Kentucky-Georgia game. This was Musburger's last game. And there at the end of the game, you know the shot that they had to take to get it uh, to overtime or whatever it was. Yeah, the shot that Malik Monk had to make to win the game. Yeah. Okay, so Billis is like, what an unbelievable call by Calipari. I'm like, what the fuck? The guy, the guy hit the guy hit like a 27-footer, like a contested three-point with his foot on the line. And he like jumped jumped straight over the guy and drained it. And I was like, oh, yeah, great call by Calipari. I'm like, this guy just hit the hardest damn shot I've ever seen. Cal was just like, shoot it. Right. I know. I know. These coaches get so much credit in college it's it's unbelievable to witness it's like anything it's like if they if a if a guy makes a shot out of a timeout you put the guy like you build a statue for the freaking college coach whereas like in in the nba it's like you just like anytime brad stevens takes a timeout i expect them to score like the next possession and that's true of many of the good coaches in the nba right like there's just an expectation that if you take a timeout you're going to come out and have a play and at the very least you're going to get a really good shot where in college, like that's cons- that was like he was like an amazing call by Calipari. This guy, that Malik Monk. What do you think <laughs> about him, Kevin? That guy. <laughs> I mean, when he gets hot, there are those moments where you watch like that Georgia game. He did it earlier this year. What was it? The UCLA game, and he looks totally unstoppable. North Carolina. Oh, Car- yeah, that's what it was, yeah. Carolina. Um, I, I, I've really, really grown to love Monk just because the fact that there's not a lot of guys who have a super elite shooting ability and B super elite athleticism. Like that combination is really rare. And Tate, when Tate tweeted that out, I responded, responded to him saying that. And I added this is like, I think he's a little bit better of a passer and a little bit better of a playmaker than he gets credit for. Everybody talks about him as like an undersized two guard, which is true. He is. But I think he can play a little bit more point than he gets credit for. And if he had the opportunity, like if Fox went, de- went got hurt, which you know we hope he doesn't, but if he did and the opportunity were there for Monk to take on more of a playmaking role, I think we could see more, more of that from him, which would further increase Tate's um, reasoning for him being the number one pick. Well, no, that did just happen in the Georgia game. Fox had to sit it out. So mm, that's, that's, when the, that's when the kid went uh, – that's when Monk went crazy. So to your point, it does happen, right, when, when mm. he was given more – opportunity or more was put on his shoulders he delivered uh big time but it's funny i've talked to a couple nba scouts that have come through town and when i've brought up malik monk because when i've watched him i'm just been like wow this guy's unbelievable um almost all of them have said they like the fox kid better which i was a little surprised by yeah yeah really Hmm. yeah that they like fox that they like fox better so anyways um yeah huh Oh, really? You think that's think, what it is? I think Tate's right. 
I, I think that's probably what it is. Like seeing him in person so much, you just see the speed and it's intoxicating. But sometimes it's right there in front of you with Monk. Just that shooting ability, man, that's game-changing stuff. Yeah, well, one of the things that, uh, that NBA scout will typically say is that when you watch college basketball, speed translates, and when you watch European basketball, size translates. Because that's the hardest thing about scouting the Euros is that it's just not the speed of the NBA at all. And they play a totally different style of play, but that you can't – that's the thing that is tough to gauge when you're, when, you're, when you're evaluating guys overseas. So – and I always – and I've always that's, – that's kind of stuck with me, right, the whole idea. And I think it makes sense. Speed translates from college. Size translates from overseas players. Um but yeah, maybe that maybe that's true about Fox. I don't know. I I I mean, listen, they're awesome. The kid's awesome too. It's not like I mean, it's not like you're having to you're you're. We're, it's not like we're debating one guy one guy with like serious flaws. They're all fantastic, and I do think, you know, we, we as we as we as we bring, wrap this back around to how it affects the NBA. There's a lot of people listening whose teams are going to have tried draft picks. You could have all the way to pick number ten this year. I think for sure you could get because some of these mocks have like Monk going like eight to ten. You you could have all the way to the tenth pick and get a possible All Star. Like really, and that is extremely uncommon. Yes, yes, very, very, very uncommon. This this year at the top of the draft, Chris is like really, really deep, and I think I think that's why we're not seeing too many teams tank because they probably feel like with you know the fourth or fifth pick, you can still get a potential All Star, All NBA level player there because there's going to be teams like you mentioned Monk, right? There might be a team who has Monk eighth on their board and they end up with the eighth pick and he's the top guy but there might be another team who has monk second on their board and they have the eighth pick and he might be available so it's like it all depends on your own independent team evaluation of these guys and i think this year after maybe one two three those guys are going to be in changed in different types of orders depending on team preferences team need team philosophy team system a lot of different factors will determine that Okay, in reference to that, you wrote earlier in the week about uh, the Sixers process and about how the Lakers need to follow that. It's all fine and dandy. See, the Lakers right now, they're six out. They're six games back out of the playoff race. And I know you had the quote in there from Luke Walton, you know, we don't want to – there is some sentiment that you don't want to build a losing culture or the idea that you are – you're not going out there and giving it your max effort every single night, yada, yada, yada. But your idea is, okay, you can say that publicly, but in the end, the wisest move for the Lakers to pull off is to not try to really make the playoffs this year. Um, that being said, given the, given the statement you just made, that like you don't have to have the number one pick or the top three pick in order to get somebody good, um, their situation's a little different, right, because they have to give up a pick if they yes. don't get something really high. So that's why for them in particular, you would say, okay, that doesn't necessarily apply. It does matter what pick they get. So this is foolishness to try to give it everything you got every single night and, and, and win as many games as you can. Yeah, so basically one of, one of the responses I got to that was like, they're the second worst team in the league, they're the third worst team in the league, what more can they do to try to tank? And it's like, you're right, they've been absolutely horrific. The point is, is that they need to continue being horrific. <laughs> that, that, that's the point. They, they, don't, they should not try to 
try to get better. <laughs> they need to continue being horrific because if look, they're they're two wins behind the Suns in the loss column for the second worst record, and they're only two games two games ahead of the Dallas Mavericks for the ninth worst record. So their margin for error right now isn't too far off from falling way out of having a realistic chance at the number a top three pick, and that's what they need. If they need a top three pick because if they don't have a top three pick, it gets sent to the Sixers, and if it does get sent to the Sixers, then they also lose their 2019 pick so to Orlando because of the Dwight Howard trade from 2012 so they lose two first round draft picks if they don't get a top three pick this year but if they do keep their top three pick this year they only send next year's first round pick to the Sixers so this isn't just about this draft it's about the 2019 draft it's about retaining assets for future seasons that's what it's really about and if they lose that pick, I think it really hinders their chances of getting a quick rebuild or even a slow rebuild um, over the next coming seasons. Well, it is interesting because one, you know, a lot of these teams, what they'll do, and even the Lakers, you know, that you look at their quote plan, and then you see, you know, the way it lines up, and you're like, wait, what the hell? So, like, you know, if you're if you're doing what you're saying. I would feel more comfortable about saying, hey, yeah, the Lakers would probably do that. Except they went out in the offseason and, and signed Timothy Mozgov and Lou Aldang to those contracts. And you're like, okay, what are you doing here, right? Are you trying to be, you know, it's kind of like the Kings, right? Just decide what you're going to do. And then instead they go and they sign Matt Barnes and they play these guys a lot of minutes. And they've got a bunch of, you know, bring in Ty Lawson. they got veterans on their team. So, like, which are you trying to do? Are you trying to be good and trying to you know uh, get to the playoffs or are you resigned to the fact that you're not going to be real good and it would behoove you to be bad like on like to have a really bad record it's like there's there's no acceptance of that and you're kind of stuck between feelings do we want to do we want to try to make a playoff push and win as many games or are we gonna you know are we, are we gonna play the game where we're trying to get high draft picks for a little bit here I don't get those signings. I, I mean, I understand bringing in veterans, but it, it was kind of just the money and the length of those deals that just baffled me at the time and still does now. I mean, Luol Deng stinks now, and, and Mozgov is, is good. He's a solid center. But, man, the length of that deal, when you got Zubats coming up and you want to get Zubats minutes, I just I just question the length of those contracts. Um, so what do they want to do? Well, Luke Walton says they don't believe in tanking. They want to do this the right way because the so-called basketball gods are going to come back and get you in the long run. I It's it's nonsense to me. It's like the best thing for your franchise is to end up with a top three pick. And at the moment, they have a 47% chance if the lottery were held today of getting a top three pick. But if they just win, if they win a couple more games and they slip down the standings, that chance drops down quick to 20% to 10%. And it's so, so important for them that they keep that pick. And if you're the Sixers, if you are the Philadelphia 76ers, you are praying that they win some more games because they could end up with two top five picks in this draft, which is crazy to me that they could get more assets. So connect Sam Hinkie for that. You brought up that Zubac kid, Zubac, Zubac, whatever you call him, their draft pick from last year. I saw him actually in person in a D-League game earlier this year, and uh, he's good, and he can really pass, and he's only 19 years old. And you take him, Clarkson, Ingram, Larry Nance Jr., Randall, 
Russell. I mean, they've got a they got like a, a I think a lot going towards a you know a bunch of good eight man rotation guys that are going to develop over time. Yeah, they got a lot of talent. Yeah. I, I I like the guys that they've drafted. I, I've i like what they I like what they have. But but the thing is, is you know Ingram, Russell, as good as those guys are, are they are they the guy I'm talking about? Are they that cornerstone? I think Ingram could be. I think there's a chance he could be. But I'm not a hundred percent certain that he actually is. Whereas in this draft, I think there could be a couple of those guys. I mean. Honestly, I like I like most of the top guys in this draft more than I did Ingram and Simmons last year. Um, so I just feel like this is just a stronger draft, a stronger chance that you get that guy, and that's what you really need. You look at how Joel Embiid's return changed everything for the Sixers. The Lakers, if they were able to get a guy like that, it could do the same thing. And it's not even just about the draft. It's about having the assets. You mentioned all the young talent they have. Those guys they can keep, or they can always flip those guys in a potential trade for a star if one becomes available too all right we got to talk about the headlines of the week uh not the least of which is all-star saturday night uh was uh, and, and the participants was announced and there was a trade going on yesterday we'll do that after these words today's ringer nba show brought to you by draft if you're playing fantasy for money and not spending hours a day doing it you should absolutely be playing on Draft. Draft is a simple daily fantasy app where you can do snake drafts just like the ones you do at the beginning of your season-long league. They last for one night, and they only take minutes to complete. On Draft, you can play for free or, better yet, play for money. There's no... There are no pros, no salary cap, and get this, your chances of winning money on Draft are almost three times better than on other fantasy sites. Download Draft now. Just search Draft in the App Store and it'll come up first. Be sure to enter the promo code NBA Show when you download and you'll get a 100% bonus up to $600 when you deposit. Just search Draft in the App Store and be sure to enter the promo code NBA Show. NBA Show also brought to you by Harry's. Harry's is the best. Uh, You want to get a great shave and you want to do it at an affordable price? Get down with Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of their customers. So Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys that were fed up with getting ripped off, they started Harry's to fix shaving. Harry's knew that there's only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. By taking less of the profit and selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's offers their blades at half the price. Just $2 a blade compared to the $4 or more you'll pay at the drugstore. Harry's razors include everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades, they want you to try their shave set for free. You heard that right. Just cover the shipping when you sign up. Plus, a special offer for fans of the show. Go to harrys.com right now and enter the code NBA at the checkout and get a post-shave balm also free. That's harrys.com, code NBA. All right, Kev, we had a trade yesterday. The Milwaukee Bucks, Algonquin for the good land, where they traded Miles Plumley for Roy Hibbert and Spencer Hawes. What does this trade mean? What did it signal when you read it? Signal to the to me that the Bucks are totally cool with admitting they made a mistake. I mean, trading Michael Carter Williams, getting rid of, rid of Miles Plumley, they're not afraid of getting rid of guys that kind of ended up being mistakes. And I think that's a good thing for them that they did that because suddenly 
now they have potential flexibility within the cap over the next couple seasons because Plumley had a long-term uh, $12 million a- annual deal. And now... Now they could have a chance potentially of making a little bit of noise in free agency. And I know Milwaukee isn't a traditional free agent destination because who wants to go to Milwaukee? But who wouldn't want to play with Giannis Antetokounmpo? Who wouldn't want to play with Jabari Parker? Who wouldn't want to play with Chris Middleton? Those guys all in the prime of their careers over the next couple years. Why wouldn't you want to play with those guys? And suddenly they could be a team that it looks a little bit appealing to those potential free agents, even if it's not a superstar level player, but like the tier two, tier two, tier three level guys. So I think that's what this is about. It's a forward thinking deal for the Bucks, and it's about truly building for that run in 2018, 2019. Okay, so Miles Plumley was Jason Kidd not playing him because uh, out of foolishness and he was making a mistake, or does Miles Plumley uh, legitimately suck? Because I mean, listen, he only played thirty-two games, only started twelve, and he averaged less than three points. I don't know. I don't know if he sucks. It's just I just didn't love the fit in the first place. They had so many bigs. Like they are, they were already trying to get rid of Greg Monroe, and then they bring in Miles Plumley for a long-term contract. I, I don't think it said he stinks. I think. I think he, if anything, is a little bit underutilized, and and maybe Charlotte sees that too. Maybe Charlotte looks at him and says, "Okay, we can get, we can get out of him what the Milwaukee thought they were going to get." See a fit there. <laughs> I mean, I don't love the fit in Charlotte either, really. I but, know, uh, but I don't, I don't know exactly what their what their plan is, right? I think, I think you could look at that and say, well, they might have brought him in for the re- for good reason, but. At the same time, they still have Cody Zeller, who's the starter. Frank Kaminsky's deserving of minutes, too. Marvin Williams plays the four a lot. So I think he'll get more time than he did in Milwaukee, but we will see how his role is. Well, and Hawes isn't going to do anything, and Hibbert's going to fall off the roster after this year. So it's kind of like with Hibbert. If he can help you, good, right? And there might be, if you could potentially get to the playoffs, maybe there's a scenario where he can help you. Um, if he doesn't, it's $5 bucks, and he's, he's gone after the year, right? So at least you, you ain't locked into it long term. Oh yeah, and, and I wonder, yeah. and I wonder how much of this is just about shaking it up because they've been so bad. They've yeah. been horrible. Yeah, they're they're a big disappointment. It's funny the throwaway line in all that trade was to make room for the roster. The Bucks waived Steve Novak, and I was like, "Huh? <laughs> who knew?" Shout out to Steve Novak for hanging on so long. I had no idea. Did you did you know Steve Novak was still around? <laughs> I forgot he was at the end of the bench. To be honest, yeah, I, I was like, "Yeah, shout yeah, out." Totally how, about, how about Steve Novak? I went and pulled him up. Ten years, ten years experience, Steve Novak. The With dude the can uh, shoot. With the 1.3 PER, that's a tough spot. <laughs> 1.3. That's hard to that's hard to pull off the 1.3 PER. 43 percent right. from three though. Yeah, he still he can still stroke it. Yeah, yeah, he can. Well, hey. no, actually, no. This year he's shooting only 16.7 percent. So, oh. but over uh, his career, 43 <laughs> percent. LeBron will probably bitch about not having him. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he's gonna add. They're gonna they added Kyle Korver. Now they're gonna add Steve Novak. <laughs> There, right? Uh, speaking of, let me just mention this real quick. They had that workout, and it was reported that there were other, uh, that uh, Mario Chalmers, Lance Stevenson, et cetera, were working out. And I guess uh, ESPN had a story that a source said Jordan Farmar was the best of the workout participants. So, how happy is LeBron James going to be if, uh, if old Griff, uh, David Griffin, says, All right, LeBron, I got you your playmaker? 
Here's Jordan Farmar, <laughs> who, by the way, the Grizzlies signed last year, and he played and started in the friggin' playoffs. He had gotten cut by Maccabi Tel Aviv. Okay, <laughs> he, he had. I'm de- I'm dead serious. He, he he was playing in Israel, and then he ended up playing for the Grizzlies at the end of the season. Um, Jaeger brought him in a couple times this year in uh, Sacramento. And so, listen, I, that, that workout, it must have been a hell of a workout if Farmar came out of the uh, at the best. And so, finally, I think the Cavs are going to appease LeBron James, don't you think? Hey, hey LeBron, we got you Jordan Farmar. <laughs> hey, man, Farmar's a two-time champion with the Lakers. Oh, Jesus two-time Christ. Champ. Two-time gr- champ. You never know. But, yeah, I, I have a feeling what this workout actually was, was just planning for in the event they don't get a guy through trade like Jameer Nelson from the Nuggets. I think he would be the ideal guy that they would take on using their trade exception. So if they can't get a guy through trade, whoever it is, doesn't doesn't really matter. Someone better than Heinrich or Chalmers or Stevenson or Farmar, then maybe they fall back on one of these guys who they already worked out in early February and have um, some prior knowledge with with who they think might be the best fit. Well, I'm just telling you this. If Farmer was the best at that workout, that means Chalmers is not close to coming back from the Achilles. He is, yeah. he is, a, he is a shell of former self because Chalmers is way better, way better than Farmer. Um, and so that just means he's not close from coming back from the Achilles, which is a hard, hard injury to come back from. And the other thing is uh, – you know, the, the guy that uh, he's still kind of hanging out there, and I know he's coming back from a, a knee injury, is Jarrett Jack, who I think has, uh, you know, he, he's one of those guys, everybody likes Jarrett Jack. Like all the guys in the league, they all really like Jarrett Jack. And so maybe maybe his name pops up at some point for somebody, and, and including Cleveland. Yeah, he's got a torn ACL. Yeah, and he's thirty, uh, and he's thirty-three years old. So that's why, right? You're tw- you're thirty-three coming off an ACL. That's tough. Same yeah, thing with. See- you know. he, he was signed by the Hawks this summer, and then he was waived due to the injury because he was una- unable to practice due to the torn right knee ligaments. So he's still wasn't recovered as of October. So who who knows what level he's at now in February? Just a couple yeah. months later, or about a year a year ago. All right, let me ask you about some of the uh, some of the stories that have been going on around at the NBA. And it's funny. Well, last week we said. I, I told you, I said, I'm not going to make any sweeping judgments. I'm going to try to suspend my uh, declarations or hot takes in this part of the season because there's just so much goofy stuff going on. And uh, going along those lines, Miami's 9-1 and one in their last 10, Kevin, and are three games out of the eight seed. And Dallas is 7-3 and three in their last 10. They've won three in a row. And Dallas is two and a half out of the eight seed. So let's wrap this back around to the discussion of what teams should be doing. Um, and you're seeing the stretch that there's always a couple of teams that take real advantage of this, you know, dog days. And those are the big stories right now. I mean, Miami with the nine and one in their last 10. And then Dallas, when you see those scores come across the bottom line, whether it is, and Dallas has got wins over like Oklahoma City and Cleveland. And I mean, they got real wins. Same with Miami. When you see those come across the bottom line, you're like, wow, you know, the Heat won again, or wow, Dallas won again. What do we make of that? And what do we make of the idea that Miami is now three games out of the eight seed, Dallas is two and a half out of the eight seed, and those teams like have a legitimate shot at getting a playoff spot if they keep playing well? 
it's crazy. It really is. And it, and I, it reminds me of early in the year when Mark Cuban was asked about tanking, and he's like, no, we're trying to win games. We're not going to tank until, like, game 70 or 75, right? And we're kind of seeing why they did bide their time and they were willing to let Dirk get back. Wesley Matthews is starting to look like Wesley Matthews. I mean, he looks awesome. I mean, he's he's killing yep. it over this stretch for the Mavericks. And Seth Curry is playing really, really well. I think he had a great month in January. I think he shot near 45% from three. Um, he, he was ridiculous. And they're getting contributions from a lot of different guys on their bench, too. So they're getting contributions from a bunch of different guys. And I think we're kind of seeing the same exact thing with the Miami Heat. Johnson is playing really well for them. Drogic is really stepping his game up. And, of course, Dion Waiters, dude. Dion Waiters <laughs> is killing it. He's amazing. I know. Those people that had their reserve spot on Waiters Island, They, uh, <laughs> if they didn't sell off their stock, man, it's uh, this is we are at, we are at the pinnacle of, of, of Waiters Island. You know, hey, you know what's hilarious as hell, right, is that uh, you remember when we joked and we said, hey, look, the top three guys that we're talking about for the MVP, are all um, uh, are all, we're all on the same team together um, at one point? Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, and James Harden, right? <laughs> and we joked. We were like, "Hey, can you believe this shit?" And then I made the joke, "Yeah, just wait till Reggie Jackson is in the mix." Yeah. Hold on, hold the phone. Wait till. De- what if we look back, and we're talking about Dion Waiters and Reggie Jackson? What if like the? What if this guy in Oklahoma City is like literally the king of the draft? And the third guy that played, we just have this like ongoing carousel of whoever the third guy that played with Durant and Westbrook was actually amazing, and we just never really noticed that he was amazing. And so yeah. Reggie Jackson Dion and Waiters, Dion Waiters man. are up next. It's Dion Waiters, dude. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He, he really has been ridiculous. And, and, like, you know, he looks more like the dude that I think they thought I think Cleveland thought they were drafting um, out of Syracuse because, like, I thought he was great. I thought he was going to be a really, really good player. Oh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. So my theory wouldn't work because they didn't draft him in Oklahoma City. Yeah, uh, it, well, it. it works. He played a year and a half there. He did. It he works. did. It works. He, he still was the third guy for Durant and Westbrook. Yeah, he was the Harden replacement. Yeah. It, it works. Yeah. Well, Kevin Martin was too. Yeah. <laughs> A little later, a little later in his career, so maybe it didn't work for them. But certainly a young guy that was alongside uh, those two. But anyway, I mean, Pat Riley went on the radio in Miami and was like, you know, he kind of did the whole, "Hey, have patience with us." You know, this is going to be a process to, you know, figure this out. Once the Bosch stuff happened and everything, there was kind of this, uh, what's the word, acceptance that okay, this isn't going to be our year. But now, like, with all these teams, especially like when you were talking about the Bucks stinking and some of these teams really you know, crapping the bed in the East, you're going to look up and Miami's got a chance of making the friggin' playoffs. I mean, hell, if they could make the playoffs, we'd get the LeBron in Miami round one, Waiters versus LeBron. You know, it, it's funny you mentioned Pat Riley's comments. Um, on The Ringer, we had an article in November, and the title of it is, It's Time for These NBA Teams to Bottom Out. And in, in the photo that we used, it has Pat Riley and Mark Cuban on it. And I made the case within that article that, like, hey, these teams need to, 
to tank. And it's not just about the draft for Miami. It's about getting like that top asset because they could put together a package and potentially be in contention for one of those star players who potentially becomes available. I mean, that's really what it's about for me. And, and I wonder if by winning all these games – that's that's what they really take themselves out of because I, in my opinion, what Pat Riley wants is he wants that quick, fast rebuild. He wants to be able to trade for a star player and then bring in a star free agent and then like suddenly have a contending team, just like he did with LeBron a couple of years ago. Um, but you don't, you might not have the opportunity to do that quite as much if you have the tenth pick, right? I think it's still a valuable asset, but you wouldn't be able to get the same level of player for that. So I, I wonder if ultimately this isn't good for them. You know what? I, you know, you know what? I, you know what I heard, Kevin? I heard that both of those teams, uh, both Pat Riley and uh, Mark Cuban, that they printed out your uh, Ringer article that had their picture and your recommendation that they tank, <laughs> and they posted it in their locker room, and they're like, "Hey, fuck this guy." Yeah, that's what I heard. Hey, man, I don't mind being a motivator. James Young blocked me on Twitter. What? I I don't mind being a motivator. James James Young blocked you on Twitter? Yeah, we should probably edit that out, be saying that. No. Why did he block you? No, you're not editing that out. No way. I want to hear this. Hey, I'll tell you who blocked me. I'll I'll tell you. I wrote wrote something about how bad his defense was a couple years ago within the context of like, hey, if the Celtics are serious about trying to make the playoffs, they should bench James Young. Oh, damn. And and he blocked you? this, this This was, I think, after. I think this was after the Celtics traded for Isaiah Thomas. I'm pretty sure. So the only one, the the only one that I've ever that I know NBA player that has blocked me was uh, Hashim Thabit because <laughs> I just I would kill him, and Thabit had had enough, <laughs> and he finally <laughs> he blocked me. You know, I clicked on his I clicked on his profile and it says you can't read this. You've been blocked by Hashim Thabit, and then of course, right? I had to make the joke. It's the only fucking thing he's blocked in his life. <laughs> Is I I heard I heard talking about another athlete. I heard Ben Roethlisberger blocks a lot of people. I I've seen people screenshotting. Oh, Ben ben blocked me. That is really funny you say that because I saw that on Twitter one day. I saw that like all these people were saying that they were blocked, like preemptively (laughs) blocked. I swear I swear to you, Kevin. I typed in Ben. I typed in the handle, and I was blocked. I was For like, real? what the hell? I don't even, like, cover the NFL. Like, what? Yeah, that, that's I what I was seeing. Like, people who don't even, like, tweet about him. People who never tweeted a thing about him are being blocked. It's odd. Yeah, right. Oh, no. The, the worst one for me was uh, in terms of I, – I was not blocked by him, but uh, in all caps, James Harden uh, said, you're a joke to me. He called me Seriously? a joke. Yeah. James yeah. Harden did? Yeah, well, here was the problem. Here's what happened, okay? So, yeah. do you remember the draft that uh, uh, you know, they had traded him, uh, Oklahoma City had traded him to Houston, right? And they'd given up these draft picks and whatever else. And so, the night of the draft that they took Steven Adams, um, right after the Steven Adams pick, somebody tweeted, you know, James Harden, and then from his handle, it was like, Steven Adams, really? Ha, 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 ha. And which was funny because that was the last piece of the trade, right? So anyway, this is back in the day before you could just click retweet. So I did the whole manual retweet and then just kind of laughed about it because I thought it was funny. Well, anyways, long story short, somebody had, like, made that up. It was fake. But I didn't know. I had just been duped, right? <laughs> and so it gets passed around like all these times because I tweeted it. And so like later in the night, 
Harden is like, what the hell? Where did this come from? Well, I've got the most followers of the people that retweeted it, so my name is at the top. So he thinks I'm the one that came up with this and is like screwing him. And I had to tell him, I was like, yo, man, I didn't do that. I'm sorry. It was a manual retweet. <laughs> it was the worst. He called me a joke on Twitter. And I was like, I, Jesus. I pulled up the tweet. <laughs> I see you it did? right now. Your response, is, your response is, yo, dot, 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 my bad, was all over my t- timeline. Thought was real. Yeah, that was <laughs> my so, response. You're so apologetic. Uh, people are responding. They're like, well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah, man. You're a joke in all caps. That's, a, that's, that's too a, funny. Yeah, that's one of my claims to fame. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my claims to fame. Wow. <laughs> wow. I go, to, it, now imagine re- me. It, it, that. it happened. <laughs> it happened at night, and I'm sitting around. I'm sitting around at night, and I'm like, "What?" Is, well, of course, my phone blows up, and I'm like, "What the hell?" And I had no idea that it was fake. And then, of course, he th- you know, he thought it was me. Which I don't know. I know. I know. Did you ever ever talk to him in person about that? Like you saw? No, no, no. You never did. No, Uh, I really, I really should have. Right. Yeah, I've always wanted to like just say something to James Young. Just like, yo, man, like it it wasn't like hating on you. It was just writing about things to get better at. It's about progress. No young player is going to be a great defender. And just to see, you know, just to see what he would say, like it's just person to person. That's all it was. So I would, I would just be curious, like how a player would respond. Like if they took something the wrong way through Twitter, especially if it were a mistake, like, like with you. Well, by the time, by the time he would, the guy would have been around, like it would probably be totally insignificant to him. It's not like he would remember. Yeah. That right? was like four years ago almost. Yeah. So like, what it, the hell are you talking about, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Get away from me. What are you saying? Are you crazy? <laughs> I'll be like, hey, you remember that tweet? And he'd be like, what? Get away from me, loser. I know. <laughs> you, really, you really are a joke. <laughs> Idiot, you've been th- you're, you're still thinking about that tweet in 2017? <laughs> I know. <laughs> what's, your, what's your problem, loser? I know. <laughs> All right, uh, all right. Two more things, real quick. First of which is uh, Jalil Okafor rumors. Like we keep on figuring out, like who could be moved at the deadline. But there's a at least we got some rumors going on, and uh, Okafor's included in one. Uh, Lord knows you hate Jalil Okafor, so <laughs> I'm sure you want to move him somewhere. Yeah, and I love Rashawn Holmes. <laughs> I'm gonna get you a Rashawn Holmes jersey. When's your birthday? July twenty seventh. July twenty seventh. Let me write this down. All right, I gotta, I, I gotta get you a. I'm gonna get you a Rashawn Holmes jersey for your birthday. I'm looking forward to it, Chris. All right, Jalil Okafor. Where could he be moving? Um, so there was a rumor from CSN Chicago that the Bulls are interested in Jalil Okafor. Not that the Sixers are trying to trade Okafor to the Sixers, but the Bulls actually like Okafor and they want him. That, isn't that wild? I mean, no. the Sixers, I would take like a gift card for him. Oh, you're a jerk. He, the guy was. The, listen, that guy. If it wouldn't have been for Towns last year, would have won the Rookie of the Year. It's not like he was some bum. I don't get it. Why is the tables turned on him so much? I mean, it's not. It look. I think with Okafor, it's it's he, with the right fit, he could potentially have a career. Like he could have a good, solid career, but. 
look at look at the team that's interested in him. The Chicago Bulls, the team that already has the worst spacing in the league, the worst three point shooting team in the league, and they want to bring in Jaleel Okafor. Hey, let me that? tell you something. I, I, hold on now, hold on. I wouldn't. It's like we didn't even do the podcast the last couple of weeks. If there was any lesson that we should have taken away, it is that don't make these quick evaluations in the in the first half of year two and decide what a player is going to be forever. That's just no. uh, that's that's oh, foolishness. Look, look, yeah, but Okafor is not going to become a three-point shooter. Like that's unrealistic. Like maybe he could become a good mid-range shooter, and he already has shown flashes. But it's unrealistic to like project him as a three-point shooter. Like that would that would be fantasy stuff to to think that'll come from him. So uh, I what? Thought, so what? They don't all have to be three-point shooters. The guys that you know, what I mean, be a good two-point shooter. Ugh, yeah, but. Chris, they have nobody, nobody on that team that's a good three-point shooter. Besides, like, key players. I mean, they have Doug McDermott, of course. They have guys that can shoot threes. But their key top guys are not three-point shooters. And honestly, like, I thought I thought the best tweet, go to go to network on Twitter, our, our ringer co- uh, co-worker, Jason Concepcion, and he put a great tweet, diagram of Rondo and Jill Local Floor pick and roll with Wade lurking, ready to hit that 15-footer, and Jimmy Butler waiting to cut. It's just a great tweet with a nice gif on there of how poorly this would fit for the Chicago Bulls. But look, if you're the Sixers, I'd be happy there's a team interested. All right, I still got Jalil Okafor stock. I'm saying free Okafor. Um, all right, last thing. You're a Boston guy, right? So are you rocking with the – and you got, you told me you had a Tom Brady jersey, so are you rocking with the Patriots this weekend? Oh, man, I'm so fired up. I can't wait. It's going to be fun, man. Is it's that gonna it? A, it's going to be a great night. I'm no, fired do you up, think, dude. You think they're going to win? Yeah, I think the Patriots. I, I I think the score will be something like thirty-seven twenty-four. I I feel like. I feel like this is a year where the Patriots just match up so so well against the Falcons, Ooh. and I, I think I think we'll see kind of you know close game at halftime, and then third quarter, fourth quarter, the Patriots start to build a little bit of a lead. Um, win the wow. game by 10, 13 points, something like that. How about you, Chris? What's your prediction for the Super wow. Bowl? Wow, you know what? I told you, a neighbor asked me the other day, he's like, who you got in the Super Bowl? And I've been thinking about it a lot. I almost think that if it were a week to prepare, I would have taken the Falcons. Like, if they would have just had to play the next week. But the two weeks, I feel like I can sleep at night. If I if I take uh, Brady and Belichick and I lose, it's, it's kind of like Alabama in college football. Like, I could sleep at night. Like, okay, so I, 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 I bet on Brady and Belichick to get it done. Whereas, if, if you bet against them and then they win, you'd be like, what kind of idiot am I? Right? Like, I don't know. I just kind of feel like, <laughs> right, they've been there seven times. I do think the experience for the two weeks to prepare does matter. And the other thing is, you know, the, the whole adage that defense wins championships, it's not, like, close when you look at all those, like, DVOAs and you look at the rankings. Like, their defense is way, way better than the Falcons. Even the weighted, you know, even if you weight it for schedule and quarterbacks and all that other stuff, their defense is way better. So, um, and I, I do want to say, you know, I, I'm trying to get it out of my head, but subconsciously, I do want to see the Goodell Brady moment. Like, I do want to oh. see that. You know what I mean? Like, I do think that would be fantastic theater. Where are you at on this, Tate? Has anybody even asked you who you take in the Super Bowl? I hate both these teams, Chris. Oh, come what? On, Tate. Yeah. Come on. Come on. This is my nightmare. Come on, Tate. Good, good grief. Join, join me on the Patriots bandwagon. No, this is seriously my nightmare. 
This is your nightmare? Well, no, it'd be your nightmare if uh, if they were playing the Broncos, right? No, the Patriots stole the Super Bowl in 2004 from us, and the Falcons are just, you know, NFC South. It's a rival. Oh, because well, well, they beat Jake DeLome? Oh, no, that wasn't even them, was it? Yeah, it was, and John Casey kicked the ball out of bounds. So. Oh, that's right. Ah. <laughs> we'll never forget. Never forget John Casey. That's right, Jay. Uh, That's right, Casey kicked that ball out of bounds. Oh, and they won on a field goal. It shouldn't oh, even no. count. Yeah, well, at least at least last year you had like no shot of winning, right? <laughs> that one's easier to take than the than the Casey one. Oh man, it was real tough. Real tough oh, times for us. Here we go. Yeah. All right. So, hey, I know you don't like either of the teams, but who? Do, if, if you if you had to bet a hundred of my dollars, Tate, who would you take? It's got to be the Patriots. Yeah. There we go, Tate. Of course. I mean, it's it's uh, it's always going to happen that way. And Matt Ryan's like the little brother of Tom Brady. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but like, if all three of us are on one side, I I don't know. Oh, personally, personally, I'm betting for the Falcons. You are? Yeah, no doubt about it. Plus three or money line? Money line. Damn. You know oh. this. I'm not scared. <laughs> he said he's not scared. What uh, is the money line like? Plus what? Like a two ten or something? I is think it's it, like plus one fifty. Is it that high? All right, Tay, we'll go get that money then. You know this. Yeah, got to get that cash. Get that money, hey, no, the guy, the guy hey, listen, hey, figure, figure, figure this out, Kevin. The guy just picked the Patriots on the podcast and then said he's betting on the Falcon. Thanks a lot. You got to hedge your bets. Like, what, 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 like, what, what does that even mean, Tay? Like, you, you can't lose, idiot. Right either way. That's the I game. I mean, that's amazing. You're like, I think the Patriots are going to win. And then you're like, but I bet the Falcon. So either way, you could come on our podcast on Tuesday and be like, I told you. Yes. Play the genius card at all times. <laughs> the worst Super Bowl pick I've ever heard in my life. Uh, Nobody has any idea. Like, if they're going to take Tate Frazier's advice on the Super Bowl, they got no idea what to do. Just watch the game, watch the Patriots win, bet on the Falcons, lose money, and just pull for the underdog. Oh, Be an honorable man. You took the underdog. You know what? They're saying the sharp money's on, on the Falcons. They are. Be you sharp. I mean? So. Might be like a thirty-one twenty-nine or something. Shane and like Sharp with this cash. Anyways, that's gonna do it for today's NBA show. Uh, you can follow Kevin O'Connor on Twitter at Kevin O'Connor NBA. Uh, you can find my man Tate Frazier at Tate Frazier on Twitter. I'm at Chris Vernon Show. Everybody have a wonderful and safe weekend, and we will talk to you next week. want to give a special thanks again to draft if you're playing fantasy for money and not spending hours a day doing it you absolutely should be playing on draft draft is a simple daily fantasy app where you do snake drafts just like the ones you do at the beginning of your season-long league there's no pros no salary caps and get this your chances of winning are almost three times better than on other fantasy sites enter promo code nba show and they'll match a hundred percent of your first deposit download draft from the app store now